Jonathan Probst. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It appears we're redefining Christmas. Maybe we're actually changing or reversing Christmas. How is that, you say? Well, by calling that which God says was Christmas... Not Christmas. For instance, the Bible tells us that the Word, Jesus Christ, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh. Today, the flesh is being made the Word. Even the definition of words is being changed to defy and to defile the divine deity. So humankind is now asserting its deity through words. It's just the reverse of what Christmas was all about, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Today, we're beholding the opposite, not the glory of man, but the demise and despair of humankind through its depravity, as we have rebuked and changed the God of creation. Is man actually becoming God? Apparently, that's what humankind thinks. And we're well on the way in that regard. So today I invite you to continue listening as we explore this amazing picture across the world and particularly in America. You see, America is seen as the leader, just as California was often deemed to be the leader within the nation, So America is deemed to be the leader among nations. So what happens in America happens everywhere. In other words, we become the seed that is sown throughout the world. And we'll bear consequences for that. We already are. And so today, as we hear the news from the Jerusalem Post that the end times are upon us, that nearly half of all U.S. Christians think so, Maybe we're in that very moment in time when people really do believe that they're becoming God. Is it possible? Indeed, friends, that is the number one deception in our world today. Believe it or not, the number one deception is that ultimately, even as many are looking for a Messiah, you are becoming Messiah. I know you might be shaking your head, but that is absolutely true. Get a copy of my book, Messiah. That's right, unveiling the mystery of the ages. It's such a mystery that humankind can't get it figured out. In fact, we're reversing exactly the plan that God had in mind to bring glory, his glory, to the earth. We're attempting to reverse it. And we're doing that through words. Words count, friends. And the Word, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So whose glory are we beholding now? Think about that as we launch into the deep here on Viewpoint today. Viewpoint always determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. And today is no exception. Four in U.S., in 10 U.S. adults believe 
that humanity is currently living in the end times. That came from a Pew Research Center survey. We announced that a week or so ago, but now it's coming from the Jerusalem Post. The study focused mostly on Christians in the United States, with there being a very clear divide, as almost half, 47%, believe that the end times are here. So, this is in the realm of what is called eschatology, the doctrine of last things, and it tends to be seen in the Christian faith as encompassing a wide range of events, and many of those events are taking place right in front of us. It's hard to deny it. It really is. And what we're talking about here today is perhaps the ultimate expression of those events. Here is a series of headlines. A Wyoming school says saying that a man is a man is harassment. The University of Wyoming. Decision to ban a church elder from operating a table inside the student union raises free speech concerns because they were unhappy that this church elder called a man a man. When in fact the man apparently wanted to be called a woman. The Bible tells us that God created male and female, male and female created he them. So who did we say? Who did the University of Wyoming say? Well, whatever God said didn't matter. We're redefining what God has said. Speaking of redefining what God has said, I take you back to 1997. You say, well, that's a fur piece back. Well, yes, indeed it is. And it helps us to get put in picture, in context, what is happening right now. Because it didn't start right now. If you were to go back to 1997, you would know that there was a fellow by the name of Bill Clinton in the United States presidency. Bill Clinton. And he went to California for the express purpose of addressing a known and exclusively homosexual event, homosexual lesbian event. It was the first time an American president had ever publicly and knowingly done such a thing. And here's what he said. Please listen carefully. He said, we are. Notice he used the collective we. That would include himself. But he was also including, apparently, the whole country. We, the United States of America, are changing the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Now, let's parse that out very quickly. He said, this is the President of the United States, declared, we are changing the unchangeable ideals. Now, how did they become unchangeable? Because God decreed them. You see, Bill Clinton loved to carry a big black Bible around for photo ops, as did his wife even though they have particularized their denial of what God has said over and over again, he said, we are in practical ways, in other words, on the ground, changing the unchangeable ideals 
that have guided us from the beginning. Notice he admitted that these ideals, these moral principles, had been part and parcel of who we are, what we were as a country. He said, now we're changing it all. Now, when he said that, what he was in effect saying, we are not only disagreeing with God, we are substituting ourselves for God. We are changing the divinely immutable or unchangeable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Are you beginning to get the picture now? That was in 1997. So when the United States Congress and its president has now repealed the Defense of Marriage Act and called it a new name, that repudiated everything that God said about marriage. What do you think that says? We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The Cambridge Dictionary has now declared that the definition of woman is no longer what it has always been, that is, the female of the human race, as defined in the Dictionary of the English Language all the way back in 1755. No, Cambridge now says the definition of a woman is, quote, an adult who lives and identifies as female, though may they have been said to have a different sex at birth. The same would be true of a man. Identifies as a male, though they may have been said to have been had a different sex at birth. The changing of that definition of a woman is actually a changing of the godship of the creator and elevating the creator, the creation into the place of God, redefining the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. Now let's go back to this season in which we are celebrating. Christmas. Whether or not Jesus was born on December 25th is not the issue. People like to make that the big issue, but that's not the issue. The issue is, was he born or not? And If he was born, why was he born? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when he was born. Did you know that? It gives us a general idea, but it doesn't tell us when. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe God didn't want us to argue about that. What he wanted us to focus on was his son that he gave to save his people from their sin who was God incarnate, or came to be God in the flesh as humankind. So if you were Satan, what would you want to do to undo God's redemptive plan as manifested initially 
in the Christmas story. What would you want to do? You would want to reverse that, wouldn't you? Instead of God reaching out and becoming man, you would want man to becoming God, to reach to become God. I want you to think for just a moment. Isn't that exactly what the iniquity of Satan was? He was jealous of God. And so he said, I will ascend to the heights of the north. I will be like the most high God. Well, he can't do that in the earth because he wasn't given dominion in the earth. God gave dominion to humankind in the earth. So the first test, as you recall, after Jesus was born and he was raised and he became about 30 years of age, And John the Baptist was baptizing as the precursor, the one who was preparing the way of the Lord at the River Jordan. Jesus showed up to be baptized. And after he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted or tested. Now, how was he tempted or tested? Do you you remember that? He was tempted or tested as to whether or not how he would see himself as related to the Father. So, Satan tested him in the flesh. Jesus had gone through 40 days of fasting, and he was weak, and he was hungry. And so Satan tested him along many of those lines. If you be the Son of God, then command that these stones be made bread. If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from this pinnacle. Isn't it written that he will uh, raise you up and the angels will protect you lest you cast your foot against a stone? So Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in the way that you and I would be tempted as humankind. He didn't yield to the temptations. As the God-man, God in the flesh, He overcame the flesh and did not allow Satan to gain dominion or control over him, because if he had, there would be no redemption. You would have no salvation. Satan would have won, and there would have been no ultimate hope for victory. But Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And by doing so, he gave absolute authority back to the Father for all that the Father had said. He reinforced everything that God had said as as the Father. You see, Father knows best in the household of faith. He may not know best in your household, but he knows best in the household of faith. At least he used to, until now. When now we're increasingly replacing our viewpoints, our definition of words, for what God has said. Jesus didn't do that. And aren't you glad that he didn't? Because if he had, Christmas would have no meaning. He would have been lost forever. Satan would have won. But he didn't win, because Jesus, as One born in the flesh did not yield to the flesh to redefine the words of God 
and to usurp the authority of God by having his own viewpoint, his own opinion with regard to how to conduct himself on this planet. Therefore, Jesus, you see, was made flesh because the only way we could have salvation was for God to be born in the flesh because humankind had been given dominion in the earth. Satan knew that. God knew that. So when Jesus was born and began to grow up, he learned the fear of the Lord very quickly. That's what the Bible says. He learned the fear of the Lord quickly. The book of Isaiah tells us that. In other words, he learned very quickly that he had to give full honor and credit to the Father for every word. He said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. From God's viewpoint, words matter. In fact, they matter much more than we can ever imagine that they matter. So Jesus himself said, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Why is that? Because our words reflect what we really are, what we really think, who we really are, what we really believe. Believe it or not, that's what they reflect. So now when we find the definition of woman being changed officially in our dictionaries, we find the definition of man being changed from what God has said in our dictionaries and in our usage when we're told by a university in Wyoming that saying a man is a man is harassment if he doesn't want to be called a man, that saying a woman is a woman if she wants to be called a man is harassment, even though it's true from God's viewpoint, In other words, what they're really saying, friends, is if you agree with God, you are engaging in harassment of the people. Are you listening? We're not talking about just cultural things here. This is way beyond that. This is going to the very essence of spiritual life. It's going to the very essence of our relationship with God as creator. He either is creator, he either is or he ain't, right? And if he ain't, then he is not. And if he is not creator, then you and I are becoming God in our own way. And that is precisely the view or the viewpoint that is being adopted in our world today. So, we go on. A feminist writer says that killing a baby in an abortion is a serious act of love. I want you to think about this. Killing a baby through abortion is a serious act of love. In other words, murder is love. God says, thou shalt not kill. We say, not only yes, but, but we say the killing actually is a work of grace and love. Talk about turning God's view on his head. But that's what's happening. Why? 
because man, humankind, is exalting him or herself to supersede what God has said. Perhaps now we can get a better understanding of why the Bible begins with these words. In the beginning was, in, in the beginning, God created. And then immediately after that, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said over and over and over again. If you were an English teacher, you wouldn't let your child, your, your student write like that. It'd be too much repetition. But God knew we needed the repetition because what he says is a reflection of who he is. His words matter. So when he sent forth in the fullness of time his only begotten son, born of a virgin, it mattered. When God, through the angel Gabriel, spoke to Mary and said, The Holy Spirit is coming upon you, and that which shall be born of you or conceived in you shall be the Son of God. Really? Those are real, those are merely words, friends, but there weren't mere words because they came directly from God. They meant something. Now, Mary had an opportunity, you see, either to dis or agree either to disagree or to agree with what the angel said. She had a choice, didn't she? She could have said, no, I don't agree with that. She could have, but she didn't. When the angel came to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take under you, marry your wife, in other words, to whom you are uh, espoused, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, even though she is pregnant, because that which is uh, conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So, what did Joseph do? He d- Did he diss what God said, or did he agree with it? He didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know the, all of the implications of it, but he chose to agree with it. In other words, to yield to what the word of the Lord was. So here's the question that you and I have to face today. Are we willing to yield to what God says about anything? Are you willing to yield to what God says? Are you willing to yield to what God says about marriage? Are you willing to yield to what God says about divorce? Are you willing to yield to what God says about remarriage if your spouse is still living? Are you willing to yield to what God says about money? Are you willing to yield to what God says about uh, who a man is or who a woman is? Are you willing to yield to what God says about whether a person is created as a woman or as a man? And on and on it goes, you see. The, re- the actual answer to that question is, as Americans, even as American Christians, is we are increasingly unwilling to agree with what God has said. Which means, in effect, we are superimposing our views, our thoughts, our ideas 
over and above what God has said, thus making ourselves God. So Christians, professing evangelical Christians, may mock many of the Mormons who still have their theology on the books. It was voiced over a hundred years ago that as man is, God once was, and as God is, man is becoming. Apparently, in spite of the mocking of professing Christians of that statement, that's exactly how we're living. We're living as if we're becoming God and have authority over what God has said. Now, do you think that this has eternal ramifications? Do you think that it tends to nullify the whole story and purpose of Christmas? We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and today I want to make available to you my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. What we're talking about here today goes to the very heart of our so-called expectation of a Messiah. If, in fact, in practical ways, as Bill Clinton said, we are changing the immutable or unchangeable ideals from God that have guided us from the beginning in order to pacify the culture, in order to make people feel better, in order to not offend people and so on. If we're doing that, are we not actually claiming messiahship ourselves? We are. Can you understand how dangerous this is? Now perhaps we can understand why Jesus, in his end-time Olivet Discourse, said, the most dangerous thing that you're going to face is deception. That's what he told his disciples. Many are going to come in my name and deceive many. There are many coming in the name of the Lord who are giving words that are contrary to what God has said. 
to what God has said about marriage, to what God has said about divorce, to what God has said about remarriage when your house, spouse is still living, to what God says about uh, whether or not you're born a male or a female, whether or not you should live according to how God created you to live instead of how the culture is trying to recreate you to live. You see, all of these things are demonstrating that we are usurping the role of God, the role of creator, and therefore, by implication, becoming our own Messiah. Now perhaps you can see why Jesus would say to his disciples, look, fellows, I I, I just have to tell you how grave this deception is going to be. Because... If it were possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. You see how this is happening? We look at the so-called liberals out there. We look at this, you know, maybe a political party and so on. We say, well, look at them. You know what God is saying? Look at you. Look at you. It's my people, he said. It's my people that have walked away. It's my people that are deceived. It's my people. They were my warmest audience. They called themselves by my name. And look what they are doing. They're usurping my role as God, as authority, as creator, as king of kings. They are becoming the lords of the earth. And I'm supposed to be coming back to reign over them as king of kings and lord of lords? you got to be kidding me. They no more want me to reign over them than the man and the moon. Mm. Killing a baby in, in abortion, a serious act of love, they now say. And how about a college... College ideology now contending that Jesus was androgynous. Mm-hmm. Jesus was androgynous. That means neither male nor female. The Bible says he was male. He, 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 he. Not she. He, he, he. But even within the Brigham Young University, the latest iteration of Jesus is that he was androgynous, neither male nor female. Interesting. The Mormons, Jesus, neither male nor female. So who is he? If he didn't know who he was and God the Father didn't know who he was, then who are you to say who he was? Unless you're God, or becoming God, to replace the God of the Bible. The book Messiah, friends, you cannot afford to miss it. Really. Unveiling the mystery of the ages. On our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. It's a $22 book. $22. Absolutely loaded, friends. 
When you sit down to read it, you sit down to read it quietly and carefully. And I believe God will speak to your heart. It's about preparing our lives for the massive deception that is coming upon the earth. And it's coming in ways that you would never, ever think. Like, I would never be deceived that way. It goes beyond our book, Seduction of the Saints, and takes a specific look at the whole expectation of a Messiah, a deliverer. The whole world is looking for such a person. But what are they looking for? And increasingly, what they're looking for is becoming normative for the world, including our churches. That's why it's so deceptive and so dangerous. $22 on our website, Messiah. Now, as I've indicated before, during the month of December, we are offering five special packages to assist you in getting this message out uh, easier. And uh, one of those packages is the book Messiah, three copies. Three copies of Messiah, the price that you would pay for an individual book is $22. That would be $66 for the three. But you're going to be able to get it if you get the package for $51. You're going to save $15. That's $5 a book. I hope you'll avail yourself of it. Messiah. The December packages are on our website, saveus.org. Or... If you don't have access to the Internet, give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA and say, I want to order that December package of uh, Messiah. Or there are four others beside that that you can order from. We want to get this out as quickly as we possibly can. And if you'll get a hold of us right away, we can get those books to you in time that you can make them as valuable gifts to those you love, including maybe even your pastor. It might be highly instructive to your pastor. He might deeply respect you for what he encounters when he reads the book. All right. So again, what we're looking at here today is the reverse, reversing of Christmas. Christmas was for the purpose of God being made flesh. That's why the virgin birth. That's why there's such an attack on the virgin birth by so-called theologians. They don't want to believe it because that makes it miraculous. They don't want to believe that it was miraculous. And if it wasn't miraculous, then Jesus was contaminated by sin. (coughs) He was the product of the unity of a man and a woman, both of whom who had a sin nature. (coughs) Excuse me. And therefore, he would not be capable of saving us from our sin because he also was a sinner. So people increasingly, even professing Christians, the more so are claiming that Jesus was a sinner. You see how this, the consequences of our 
exalting our viewpoints over God's viewpoint has immense effect upon our lives. And there's no end in sight as to how far that will go. You can just about justify just about anything if you are becoming God. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, for whatever reason you want, to whomever you want. Because you now are God in the flesh. That's exactly what Satan wanted to have happen, friends. That was the purpose of his own his whole deception in the Garden of Eden. Hath God said, and then he introduced a rationalization so that they, as human beings on the earth, who were given authority in the earth, could rationalize what God had said and change its import and agree with what Satan said instead of what God said. Very simple, and Satan has never changed his tactic because it's so immensely effective today. In fact, in many respects, it's more effective today than ever because we've given ourselves over to self-deception. We're deceiving our own selves. Changing the words. Changing the definition of gay, for instance. That was the earliest one, wasn't it? It meant blithe or happy. Why was that used or adopted to describe homosexual and lesbian behavior, which was a perversion? So that you would find it more acceptable and not resist it. That's why you won't hear me using the word gay here on my own motion here on this program. I don't use the word because it doesn't describe what the real issue is. I'll use the word homosexual or lesbian or sodomy. Those are the real words. Don't yield to the temptation to play the game, friends. Don't use the word gay. There's nothing gay about it. You see how we're succumbing to the change of the language. This is not innocent. We're actually in the process of reversing Christmas reversing the first coming of Christ so that we will not be prepared for the second coming. Are you listening? I hope so. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a hard longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. 
reversing Christmas. That's what's happening in our world as we play games with the language, which is changing what we believe, what we accept, and elevating ourselves as God as we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ. How do you think the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, is going to view us when he returns, buying into this radical change of language and behavior? What? How do you think he's going to look at it? Do you think he's going to wink at it? Do you think he's going to say, well, I, I understand. No, he's not going to say that at all. He came the first time to save us from our sin. That was the Christmas story. The angel told Joseph, you tell, you name, you name this baby Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That was his name. Yeshua, God saves. But apparently, we don't believe in sin anymore the way God defines it. Sin is anything that disagrees with God. Evil is anything that disagrees with God. He's God, we're not. To the extent that we dis what God says on any issue, we are disagreeing with God, and to that extent, elevating ourselves as equal to or superior to God himself. That's exactly what Satan did. That's why he was cast out. He took, uh, many believe, a third of the angels with him in that casting out. And he's going to be judged for it. And he's going to be judged for how he is taking you down with the same deception and the same heart motivation. Don't let it happen to you, friends. John the Baptist came the first time calling the people to make straight paths for their feet. In other words, get their lives in order. Stop playing your so-called religious game. Take your life seriously. Repent. Accept Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior of the world, Messiah, who speaks with the authority of God the Father. Because he is God the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I am the earthly representative of the Father, born of flesh, but not corrupted by the flesh or the sin nature. Now, it's interesting with regard to abortion. Bill Clinton and then Barack Obama, even the more so, did everything they could to normalize abortion, to spread it around the world. Joe Biden is doing the same thing. So in the Philippines, they're responding by saying, we're not ready for that. So the Philippines has rebuffed the United Nations on abortion, on divorce, and on same-sex marriage. All three of those. Why? Because the Philippines still believe, by and large, 
that what God has said concerning these issues is true and must be obeyed, not okayed. Which leads us to two words that have become an offense in our world. Two words that begin with O. They're both four-letter words. The first one is only. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. So people will say, are you saying that there's only one way? The answer is yes. It's simple. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say a way. He said the way. The moment you say that, you are an offense. By definition in today's culture. Even professing Christians, many of them are saying, how can you possibly say that? That's not loving. When they say that, friends, what they're doing is superimposing their human viewpoint over what God has said. In other words, they're making themselves equal to or superior to God. It's not difficult to comprehend this, but we have to decide. The other O word is the word obey. It's the most hated word, yes, even in the church today. Because we don't want to do what the Father says. We don't like the Father. We think that Jesus will let us get by with what the Father will not let us get by with. So if the Father says something about our lives that we don't like, then we turn to Jesus and think he's going to somehow forgive us for disagreeing. It's not true. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are we listening yet? So what we're doing here, friends, is helping us to understand before the second coming of Christ, what is necessary for us, like John the Baptist did before the first coming of Christ, we're saying, look, it's time for us to make straight paths for our feet. It's time for us to get our lives in order to live like we say we believe. Don't tell me you're a Jew, John the Baptist said. God's even able to raise up stones as children of Abraham. Don't tell me your father is Abraham. That doesn't get you any kudos. John the Baptist actually said that. Jesus himself repeated the theme. No, you can't get by with sin by running to Jesus. And then there are those who want to run to Mary because they think Jesus is too tough. First of all, it's gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, seeing him as a baby in a manger with a halo. Then it's Mary, the virgin, with a halo. And she is going to intervene between the Father and Jesus and make every kiss you better and make everything sweet again. There's nothing in the Bible to say anything about that. That is the conjuring of human will to try to avoid responsibility before God. 
I'm sorry if that offends some of my Catholic listeners out there, but that's just the way it is. All that is is tradition. Yes, we should honor Mary. She is blessed. All generations should call her blessed. Indeed. Absolutely. There's a reason why God chose her to bear the Christ child, and I believe it was because she was pure and because she was, she would agree with God. She would believe him, unlike most Christians today. She would actually believe him. Same with Joseph. They're worthy of honor for that. But they're not worthy of worship. To worship a human being is idolatry. Hate to put it so bluntly, but it's just idolatry. No matter what you call it, no matter what kind of uh, language you use to try to justify it, you're putting other gods before God. It's very simple. Mary is not God. Mary herself is not divine other than she was trusted by God to carry the Christ child. She did her job with obedience and honor. And for that, she should be honored. The World Tribune says that the swamp is defying God and repealed the Defense of Marriage Act. Let's take a look at this very quickly. In 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, called DOMA. He said, I have long opposed governmental recognition of same-gender marriages, and this legislation is consistent with that position. He said, the word marriage means only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife. And the word spouse refers only to a person of the opposite sex who is a husband or wife. That was Bill Clinton then. That wording became public law in 1996. The word marriage was defined as meaning only a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife. In the year 2000, four years later, Hillary Clinton stated, marriage has historic religious and moral content that goes back to the beginning of time, and I think a marriage is as a marriage has always been between a man and a woman. When Barack Obama first ran for Senate in 2004, he said, I am not a supporter of gay marriage. In 2006, Obama declared decisions about marriage should be left to the states as they always have been. In 2008, while running for president, Obama made an unchallenged statement at the Saddleback Church in California. He said, I believe that marriage is the union between a man and a woman. It's sacred. In 2008, Obama stated in an MTV campaign, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. I'm not in favor of gay marriage. 
In 2010, though, Obama wrote, I have been to this point unwillingly to sign on to same-sex marriage because of my understandings of the traditional definitions of marriage. In 2022, President Biden invited a non-binary drag queen to the White House to celebrate signing what is being referred to as the Respect for Marriage Act, which was actually the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Notice the distortion and deception of the words defining the act. It was not about respect for marriage. It was disrespect for marriage and all of its history, even as defined by Democrat politicians. And then along came not only all the Democrats who voted and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who celebrated as if it was the greatest thing to ever happen on the face of the planet, the signing of this Disrespect for Marriage Act, but 12 Republicans also signed it. It was a day of infamy, friends. It was a day when human beings in this country openly, notoriously, egregiously, and defiantly shook their face, their fists in the face of the God of the Bible and said, you are not worthy to be respected. We are the ones who are going to say what is right, what is wrong. We are the ones that are going to determine what marriage is. We're the ones who are going to determine what a man and a woman is. And you have nothing more to say about this matter. That's what they said by signing that act. And so they were reversing Christmas. They were reversing the very purpose for which Jesus came as the word made flesh. We were to take him at his word. We were to trust him. We were to obey his voice. But apparently, that's out of style now. So who is your Messiah, anyway? Consider getting a copy of the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. It'll be eye-opening to you. $22. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. We're doing our best to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.